0: Hey, folks, welcome back to the show. Today, we're going to be shipping up to Boston to talk about the pharmaceutical community that's there and some of the main themes that are being discussed at the upcoming Boston Chapter Pharmaceutical Symposium. Um, healthcare, The healthcare industry has a large number of components, of which pharmaceuticals is just one, but it's very large, and there's a lot of people doing a lot of different areas. And it's very interesting to see the professional discussion in pharmaceutical statistics expand as technologies increase and um there are more options for these large and small companies to get involved with more and more facets of improving people's lives through technology so today we have pretty fun uh we have some great guests we have uh we jung and winting cheng and they will be introducing themselves in a second but this is the first part of a series on some of the these biopharmaceutical issues so if you like this content, don't forget to subscribe, leave a like, leave a comment, and then you'll hear when the next part in the series comes out. So uh, we'll quickly jump to our intro jingle and then we'll hear from our guests. Great. So, uh, Weidong, let's start with you. Maybe you could. Weidong is actually just calling in right now. Um, so, you only hear his audio. But, uh, Weidong, could you maybe give us a little bit of a background about what your professional work is? And then, once you both introduce yourselves, we'll then talk about what your involvement with the Boston Chapter ASA is.
1: Sure. Thank you, Glenn, for the introduction. My name is Weidong Zhang. Currently, I work for Johns Therapeutics, which is a startup focusing on immunotherapy drug development in Cambridge, Massachusetts. So at Johns, I oversee a biostatistics and programming group. Mostly, you know, this is Johns Therapeutics. It's a clinical stage company. We have a couple of phase two and phase one trials. My group is mostly focusing on supporting the design and programming activities across different programs here. What I see here at the biotech pharmaceutical companies, what's challenging is, you know, you have multiple programs uh, ongoing, but, you know, we are supporting activities covering from clinical, Read out publications in the business development. So, which is nice because you know you basically have a team that covering the whole spectrum of the clinical development in these small companies. So, we are in in the stage of a fast moving technology in this pharmaceutical industry. Because of the uh, in this area is really competitive. Every company is moving the program really fast. So you know, my work at the company is really fast-moving and also very exciting. We're doing not only statistics but also a lot of great science related to all the activities here.
2: Cool. And could you
0: discuss uh, just a little bit more specifically some of the clinical innovate? clinical domains that you're working in, what some of the diseases, the disease types that you're working on, and um, I'm interested to hear more about this full clinical pipeline approach.
1: Yeah, so this is, as I alluded to, this is a, a specialized company. We're focusing on 100% immunotherapy in oncology. We cover a lot of therapeutic indications, like you know, non-small cell lung cancer, breast cancer, urothelial—you know—all different uh, indications that could be challenging to immunotherapy. This space is especially exciting and challenging, is because you know, immunotherapy? We know it's if it, once the patient responds to the treatment, uh, the becoming the response, the clinical benefit can last pretty well. But the challenge is majority of the patients, maybe 60 or 70% of the patients, they don't respond to this immunotherapy well. So this motivated so that, you know, we can look at the patient who do not respond to the first-line immunotherapy, and then we try to identify subpopulation within the uh, patient who do not respond well, see if we can identify a subpopulation So we can, you know, develop a drug tailored to this specialized, you know, this subpopulation. You know, this is a hot topic, especially in the precision medicine era. And also, you know, the biomarker technology has been booming in the next uh, couple of years, which also help us to use the biomarker information to help us to identify the population that, you know, we can target. So right now we have... Again, a couple of phase two clinical trials, they are all focusing on the oncology therapeutic areas.
0: Yeah, that's really interesting. Um, One of the things that I've noticed that as uh, immunotherapy seems to be advancing is that, and also just the general detection and classification, better understanding biomarkers, is that it looks like the field has gone from essentially saying, we work great in one subpopulation and we don't work in others and we're simply trying to identify which subpopulations we work well in that now it's becoming something and of course this is a little bit of an outsider's view but that it's become something more of them saying okay, we've now identified places where this doesn't work and we're equipped technologically to start identifying how to help these patients. So before it was just saying well, let's not be administering unuseful or ineffective therapies on on a population for which it won't work So now saying okay we've now identified this subpopulation let's engineer and create the actual therapy that will work and try to advance this for a greater portion of the
1: patients yeah there's a lot of unmet needs in this area you know that a lot of patients if they don't respond to the first line immunotherapy well you know, they're struggling. So and unfortunately, there's a large portion of the patients are uh, fall into this uh, population. So it's very critical, we can leverage the biomarker technology we have to use that molecular signature to predict their response to or the drugs we're developing. That's the major focus of our business.
0: Well, it's really great to have the uh, that diversity of coverage on this show so basically having guests who work on all these different things Uh, we're actually going to be doing a mini series on immunotherapy uh one just covering what the technology is and what the biological mechanisms are and then also talk about the statistical methods and data science methods that revolve around that so maybe we'll try and uh, we'll pop you back on for that series i think we're going to be filming it in about two weeks or so but um who knows when we'll actually publish it so um Yeah, it'd be great to have you back on to discuss that. So, Wen Ting, now on to you. Could you introduce yourself, what you do, and your involvement with the Boston ASA chapter?
2: Sure. Hi, uh, my name is Wen Ting Chen. I'm a senior biostatistician at Biogen, an American multinational biotech company based in Cambridge, Massachusetts. I'm a, a junior-level uh, statistician working at this company because I uh, graduated from University of Michigan biostatistics department three years ago and uh, I, I don't have too much uh, working experience compared with Feidong but uh, for, I'm using the uh, statistical principles and, and uh, where I learned from the University of Michigan and the trainings I have at a Belgian work for the interpretation and the implementation of a clinical trial development. So currently I'm working on the phase two study and an open-level extension study for the disease area of multiple psychosis. This is this is a disease modifying therapy for the disease sclerosis and the indication will be sclerosis, acute optical optical neurosis and other associated demyelination diseases. Currently we we are still uh, the study is ongoing and I'm very glad to work on this study and the uh, clinical program and use the Statistical expertise and uh, the tech, uh, statistical methods and modeling I learned so far to help the development of this investigational drug.
0: Could you just describe what this disease is, just so that uh, people who aren't familiar with it, what is this disease? What are the symptoms? What does uh, what does it entail?
2: The disease is called a multiple this kind of a disease, it's a serious disease and uh, it, well, the progression of this kind of disease will limit the functionality of the patient from many aspects. For example, the patient, they have a limitation in their walking or in their hand ability and many other aspects of the, their functionality respectives so for for this kind of a disease there has been a multiple drugs but um, many of them are focused on the control of the disease progression so for the drug that i'm working on it's aiming at the improvement of the disease it's working on the improvement of the uh, functionality of the patients. Great. And now maybe
0: uh, could both of you just very quickly um, in a sense or two just describe just what your involvement is with the ASA Boston chapter. Winting Ting, first?
2: Uh, sure. So currently I'm the uh, uh, secretary of the American Statistic Association Boston chapter and I'm also on the planning committee of the Boston chapter. Since the, at the end of it 2018. I think it's my great honor to join this uh, statistical community and uh, to um, use the expertise and my time to contribute to this statistic community. So we had a lot of uh, local activities so far, both in terms of academic presentations and also some industrial. Symposium and events, for example, this Boston uh, Pharmaceutical Symposium.
0: So, we don't, could you very quickly tell us what you do with the Boston ASA chapter and then introduce us to this pharmaceutical symposium?
1: Sure. Thanks, Glenn. Also, thank you, Winting, for the introduction of this chapter. So maybe I can start with a little background about, you know, this pharmaceutical symposium. A couple of years ago, you know, I was at a few conferences, you know, they're all statistical conferences. I met a lot of people from Boston, you know, a lot of statisticians. We go to Washington, D.C., we go to Seattle, you know, we go to all different places. What struck me was I met a lot of stats of you know, colleagues in this industry from Boston in other cities. So I was thinking, you know, why don't we start our own community in Boston area? Because Boston is becoming a hub for biopharmaceutical and uh, pharmaceutical companies. There are a lot of uh, statistical talents in this neighborhood. Why don't we form our own community? So we can have first of all you know scientific and statistical exchange of the ideas and also a social networking so that was started maybe three or four years ago we had a first pharmaceutical symposium at takeda and then that went really well so my role since that was mostly involved in planning committee of the pharmaceutical symposium in boston so this year is going to be the fourth annual uh, pharmaceutical symposium every year. I want to emphasize like the audience like growed a lot since we started uh, the first time four years ago. So this year we're going to focus on mostly statistical innovations, you know, because we want to get together. To have you know to exchange the ideas, you know innovations on statistics and how we're gonna impact the pharmaceutical industry in this neighborhood. And also, we're lucky to have two senior leaders in this community as a keynote speaker. One is Doctor Sandeep Menon from Pfizer, who is a senior VP in the early clinical development, and also Doctor Anne Heatherington from Takeda, who is also a, a senior VP in the data science. I mean, again, we want to use this as a platform to, you know, provide a stage for the statisticians in the Boston neighborhood so we can, you know, learn from each other, you know, we can meet friends so we don't have to go to travel to different places for this same purpose. I think that this is really beneficial to the statisticians in this neighborhood. And also we're lucky to have this event supported ASA Boston chapter with the leadership of the chair, Dr. Olga Vitek, and we were able to do this, you know, very effective within the ASA organization.
0: Yeah, we don't I definitely know what you mean about that feeling of going to national conferences just to meet your colleagues who live in the same city as you. Given that I work in the research triangle park, it seems like the North Carolina ASA chapter, for example, We have a lot of people involved, but they're mainly meeting at the national level already. So it's always nice to have something where, you know, when everyone lives within about a 30 minute or 40 minute radius of each other, to have something a little bit more local. So you don't have to be traveling across the country or into Canada to engage in some of these ASA and the Associated Professional Societies events. So I thought it'd be fun to talk a little bit about what are some of the major themes that will be covered in the Pharmaceutical Symposium. What are I've noticed that a lot of people, when they're working in the field, have a series of shared concerns and shared priorities about what they want to be working on, what type of statistical or medical problems they want to be conquering. What are some of those themes that are going to be covered in this conference?
1: I think for this conference, we're going to focus on statistical innovation and also especially in the statistical design and uh, new initiatives in terms of the, you know, we're going to have statisticians working in some of the new areas like, you know, wearable device, how we're going to use those uh, digital data to support our clinical development in addition to classical innovative design, you know, how all those designs going to impact the clinical development. So I think that this is going to be something very new to this year's conference. I think I'm very excited to have them to be able to present their work here.
2: Uh, I agree with Weidong's point that we have a lot of wonderful talks uh, focusing on the uh, clinical trial development wherever the statistical principles is needed. And we have a lot of statistical innovation topics this year. And I also want to mention that as this is our fourth annual symposium, our topic is more and more innovative and more and more clinical trial development focused because of previous is symposium may have broader topic because it's like at the earlier stage of the, this is important, but as we have more attendees and we start to attract more speakers, uh, they really, they are uh, these uh, invited talks. They really present and demonstrate a very broad aspects of the statistical innovations and its best practice in the clinical trial development. So we are very glad to have a lot of good invited speakers this year. And uh, also, apart from this uh, this uh, series of invited talks, we also have a poster session aiming to uh, provide uh, opportunities for more junior statisticians or even uh, academic researchers if they would like to present their research and their work related to the clinical uh, trial development. So this is another attraction of uh, this symposium
0: as well. Yeah, I definitely like the idea of giving young researchers and early career professionals opportunities to shine and engage in the profession. Um, That's how we keep things fresh and make sure Mm -hmm. that people don't fall off the radar as they develop their career. I'm a bit curious, though, about um, the discussion about innovative clinical trial design. So I assume that this is different types of clinical trial design, design and experiment that deviate from the usual randomized controlled trials and things like that. What are some of the um, sort of innovative or interesting design topics that are going to be discussed and sort of what types of clinical challenges or logistic challenges are they trying to overcome?
1: I think from my perspective, one of the challenge is we are, you know, right now compared to a few maybe 10 or two decades ago, we are trying to use more complex designs. Those complex designs really have a positive impact on the clinical trials in terms of the, you know, you have the flexibility to change the study and also potentially save the cost from the ethical perspective, also gave the patient more opportunity to test the efficacious uh, drug and also give a patient more opportunity to quit from a drug which is not efficacious. But the problem is, you know, given the complexity of the design, there are some concerns of, uh, statistically and also from the regulatory perspective. For example, you know, in the last couple of years, you know, we have some issues with the estimate basically, you know, if we have a uh, different complex designs, how how do we make sure we are estimating the stuff we're supposed to, uh, we're interested in? I mean, given the initiative of the CID, I think that's the complex innovative design started by the FDA. I think the good thing is the community is more receptive to leverage the complex design You know, to make sure uh it works you know to our benefit but realizing this is still a little bit early stage to how to use this complex design to help us i think there's going to be a lot of uh, continue a lot of uh, discussions not only in this symposium but in you will hear in different uh, places and different conferences this is continue to be a focus in terms of how we're going to use that design leverage the power of the design to help us to make sure we can have efficient trial. I think that's continue to be a challenge and continue to be a exciting opportunities for all the statisticians.
0: Yeah, as uh, sort of the clinical demands become greater on trials, because we are expecting more and more things from clinical trials these days, but- Also, just the variety of information that we can be incorporating and try to have a more holistic view of the information that's being generated from a clinical trial. There's a lot that people want to bring to the table if possible, because why throw out information if you can have it? But of course, information doesn't come from for free. But I think some people, when they hear this a priori, the idea that, oh, changing clinical trial design, or adapting according to what the data is being generated, they might think that they might become concerned because it brings up the idea that, oh, well, there's this idea that, you know, the experiment should be proposed, it should be executed, it should not be changed, and that you don't want people sort of cherry-picking the data and augmenting the trial as it goes in order to try to achieve one outcome as opposed to the other. And I think that's, you know, it's 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 a concern as far as, you know, in most scientific aspects, you don't change the experiment halfway through and start trying to do something else. But at the same time, the complexity of the actual clinical applications can become so great that there's a lot of bugs in the system that you can't work out a priori, or there's bugs in the systems that, you know, when you're trying to deliver a therapy or optimize a therapy for a specific, Patient, that there's a lot of problems that crop up in actual uh, from a clinical utility perspective that you can't really, you know, pinpoint and control during the trial design process. So I'm curious if you have some thoughts on that as far as what are some of the main reasons why we're looking to essentially have more control over the clinical trial in the meantime, and how it's meant to essentially better support clinical science, not undermine clinical science by people trying to simply achieve certain clinical endpoints?
1: Yeah, this, um, maybe, you know, I can talk from my perspective, uh, Winting, feel free to, um, to chime in. I think, you know, at this moment, if you look at the clinical development, we have a lot of data to leverage. So in general, the idea is if we have more data, you know, we should use more information to support decision making. So that's why... Especially in some of the therapeutic area, when you do not have a lot of patients, you can enroll, you can test your drug. That's becoming especially important. That's also part of the complex of the design perspective. I'll give you an example in the rare disease. For example, the uh, Duchenne muscular dystrophy. You don't have, this is a rare disease, you don't have a lot of patients to test. If you have only 10 or 20 patients in your trial, you are limiting the information from this very small population. So the idea is if you have historical data, historical trial ongoing you can leverage why not to use that data as part of your information the second is sometimes when you test the drug it's not very ethical to have a control arm which you give patients placebo and it's the same for uh, dmd as well you know you i think a a few companies the they got the drug approved with a control arm but they use the historical control as their reference to, you know, present to the regulatory. But there's a challenge, as you alluded to, Lynn, is when we use the external data, the question becomes, you know, the quality of the data. Uh, the second, uh, the uh, whether the population is comparable to the population you're testing. So that, you know, I think the regulatory, in general, they are supportive to incorporate more information outside the trial. But you really need to... Be careful in terms of what information you're bringing into this trial. You know, how are going to use that information statistically to support your decision? I think there, but the good thing is this community is very open to that idea, especially in the rare disease area. You don't have a lot of patients you can work on. So I heard that there's a, one example is, you know, again, I want to use the CID as example. We've left science I think and that's another well, That company in Cambridge they submitted a complex design review to the regulatory for that DMD trial using the historical information as a part of the design information so again I think in general you know there's a trend that we can incorporate more information to support our decision but it's a challenging especially there are statistical challenges how we're we gonna maybe use that information to you know, if you want to discount that information, how much you want to discount, you know, things like this. Winting, maybe you have some thoughts on this as well?
2: Yeah, thanks bido for giving this great examples. I think in terms of like uh, when we uh, have a clinical trial that we don't have a principal arm or when the sample size is very small, definitely there are a lot of uh, statistic innovations about how to use external information or historical information to help uh, make the business decision-making and to help develop the strategies for the clinical program. And uh, in terms of uh, uh, interpretation from a statistician perspective, uh, that often involves the use of a Bayesian methodology because as we know previously in the pharmaceutical industry, Bayesian uh, principles and uh, its modeling is not very popular, but in recent years, as we are aware that we need to use this historical information and uh, this external information, probably from a competing uh, drug or from some uh, already uh, drugs on the market, the use of uh, Bayesian techniques and uh, modeling are becoming more and more important when we are doing clinical development. Um, but uh, as freedom point out, there's a lot of uh, heterogeneity in terms of the patient population, in terms of the mechanism of the investigational drug, and uh, in terms of uh, study duration. All kinds of uh, this heterogeneity between one clinical trial treatment and some other clinical drugs uh, makes the use of the, uh, this uh, vision technique or some other statistical model in trying to leverage external information or historical information very complicated. But it's, it's a great opportunity for our statisticians to use our uh, principles to help and to make this kind of decision based on Based on the patient uh,
1: modeling and other techniques we have, yeah. You know, there's a potential we may be able to step out of this local community to have more collaboration with external other, you know, death colleagues from other communities. I think that's probably one more thing we need to think about in the future. But this conference, this symposium, is still young. This is only first year. I think that's something I'm thinking. Maybe we can expand our collaboration with or other communities, you know, to have to invite more speakers from different chapters, maybe different organizations to, you know, give us diversify our speakers and participants.
2: Yes, yeah, so I agree with Swedon. So currently we are a more uh, local symposium, attracting statisticians and uh, researchers uh, from the uh, local community with a growing number of attendees and more attractions from both industry statistician and academic researchers, we definitely would like to invite more invited speakers outside of our local community. For example, for future symposium, we would like to invite people from other pharmaceutical companies that are not Based in Cambridge or the greater Boston areas to bring in more innovations and uh, more statistical principles to our symposium. At the same time, we also like to advertise our symposium to a broader community because currently the attendees, the majority of the attendees are from the Boston uh, area or the uh, uh, Boston chapter. Boston chapter members, but uh, definitely, if there are people from people outside of the Greater Boston area, that'd be great.
0: Yeah, that definitely is one of the challenges of having such a rich and large statistical community available locally. Just so, just to reiterate, anyone outside the Boston area who wants to come and participate, be engaged in the chapter, or be engaged in symposiums or conferences, definitely feel free to a nice approachable group of folks. I enjoy talking to them. I enjoy interacting with them, and you will too. And the pharmaceutical aspect isn't the only thing that the Boston chapter is doing. I think that actually about a day or so before the pharmaceutical symposium, there's actually another symposium or conference on proteomics, I believe. And there's quite a few events there. So if you can't make it to the pharmaceutical symposium, there are many other activities that the boston chapter does it's a very active chapter it's a very open chapter so if you are interested in this work definitely get in contact and say
1: hello and get involved yeah thank you glenn i think that's another great idea so i kind of you know buried my head in the sand because we are mostly focusing on pharmaceutical statisticians here but actually in this neighborhood, there are a lot of uh, statisticians working in the uh, non-pharmaceutical industry or academia as well. As you point out, you know, proteomics. there are also great statisticians and also other, like uh, genomics, you know, statisticians working in those areas and uh, f- financials as well. So, you know, we use basically the same or similar statistical principle to support all the great business and science in different uh, areas. I think, you know, in the long term, we really, you know, want to, Maybe have a broader community in terms of the statisticians, statistical communications across different communities and industries here.
0: Well, Wen Ting and Widong, thanks so much for being on the show. It was great hearing about the different aspects that are gonna be covered in the pharmaceutical symposium, covering a great range of subjects, including wearables, Bayesian analysis, and Bayesian design, and also just general clinical trial design. And also Not just in the pharmaceutical area, but in biotech in general. So there's a lot, there are many subjects that are going to be covered at the symposium. And it'll be really fun to hear a bit more about those closer to the time. So thank you both for coming on today and look forward to hearing, talking again with you soon.
2: Thank you, Green. And uh, thanks to our audience for watching this interview. It is my great pleasure to be interviewed and I'm looking forward to uh, following interviews with other. Clinical biostatisticians
1: in your pharmaceutical industry. All right, thank you, Glenn, for having us. Hey, folks, it's Glenn. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Pod of Sleepius.
0: If so, please consider leaving a like, a comment, and hitting that subscribe and bell button. We're a small channel, and every bit helps. If you have a department, a lab, or even just friends who would like this episode, definitely forward along. I don't have any of those things, but if you do, you should definitely celebrate by sending them an episode. We've got plenty of episodes on healthcare topics, particularly in data science and machine learning. So check out the other episodes on the channel or some of the playlists. You can also check out our website to join our mailing list or see our sponsors. Thanks so much to our sponsors for their support. And while the views discussed on the show are undoubtedly scintillating, they don't necessarily represent the views of our sponsors, the speaker's employer, my views, your views, my neighbor's cat's views, your cat's views, or anyone else not saying the words. In fact, they might not even represent the speaker's views by the time you're hearing it, so be sure to subscribe in case they come back onto the show to change their mind. See what I did there? Thanks again.